Last week, uh, I felt like I was pushing the envelope a little bit uh, with the amount of verses that we covered uh, because we looked at a lot of stuff. And so I'm balancing that this morning. We're only going to read one verse. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. What do you want to be when you grow up? That is one of the most intriguing questions that you can ask a kid. The younger, the more intriguing. You can learn all sorts of things uh, from the way a kid answers that question. Some kids want to be a veterinarian. Some want to be a professional athlete. Some want to be an airplane pilot. Some just want to be a garbage man. If you'd asked me that question when I was a kid, I would have told you that I wanted to be a marine biologist and I wanted to study killer whales. Now, it's fun to dream about what we might become. And with hard work and determination, sometimes those dreams do become a reality. We can, however, take that idea too far. Uh, We live in a culture that is obsessed with the idea of self-determination. Personal liberty to be who we want to be is considered by many to be a sacred right. It is scandalous, blasphemous even, to assert that there are, there are objective realities outside of us which determine who we are and what we are. For all the things in our lives which are effectively and demonstratively out of our control, our culture has declared independence from the narrow-mindedness and the conformity of the past. We have decided that we will determine what is and what is not. If we don't like reality, we just change it. Or at least we relabel it to make it something else. The conversation, what, are you, what do you want to be when you grow up, has gone far beyond uh, just what sort of occupation you'd like to have. Now people are asking their kids whether or not they want to be a boy or a girl or whether they want to have a gender at all. When truth is a matter of personal perspective, we're caught in a trap wondering if there's any truth at all. And if there is, we wonder if we can even know it. Without the truth of the gospel, there is no real truth freedom. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent convinced Adam and Eve that they would be happier if they disobeyed God's rule, if they disobeyed his command and they took what he had forbidden them to have. They liberated themselves from a right relationship with God, but they did not find the freedom in their rebellion that they thought they would. They did not find freedom in the rebellion against God's right rule. They found death. They found slavery. And we have inherited uh, from them not only the consequences of their decision, but the pattern of their rebellion, since we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. So let us understand this, that freedom is not merely independence. Rebellion against God and His commands only leads to sin's mastery over us. True freedom is tied to the truth. True freedom can only be experienced under the mastery of the God who made us and who loves us. Our aim in the book of Galatians uh, this morning 
is to understand God's priority of freedom for our lives in the kingdom of Christ. The gospel is the good news about how God has set us free from the tyranny of sin through the person and through the work of Jesus, who is our Savior. We receive that freedom when we're joined to Christ through faith. We can't secure this freedom through our own good works. It seems, as we look at, as we've been studying the book of Galatians, that there were members of these churches who had forgotten this because they had become enamored with a distortion of the gospel that was actually designed to put them back into bondage, back under the whip of the law. And Paul's aim in this verse, chapter 5, verse 1 in particular, was to call the Galatians back to the freedom that Jesus had secured for them. And so, in our verse this morning, he reminds us of Jesus' work on our behalf, of his purpose in setting us free, and how we're supposed to live as a free people in his kingdom. He does this with one simple statement, which is our passage for today. And if you would, briefly stand for the reading of God's word. As I read Galatians 5, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Thank you. Please be, please be seated. Well, on the basis of this verse, we understand I mean, we must understand that God has made your freedom His priority. Your freedom is God's own priority. He has not abandoned His beloved people to live under the tyranny of sin, but has, as in the words of one author, sent His Son into the world to shatter the dominion of the slaveholders of sin, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus came speaking words of truth which are intended to make us a free people. More than that, he came himself into the world to secure our freedom through his own sacrifice on the cross and through his victorious resurrection from the dead on the third day. It stands that you are either a slave to sin and its desires or you are a son, an inheritor of God with Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, we are all slaves to sin. But if we are joined to him through faith, then we are to live as the free people he has determined for us to be. Jesus speaks a word of salvation and truth which sets us free uh, to live as a people who are joined to him by faith. In John 8, he says, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus came to make us a free people. Your freedom, true freedom, is a priority of his love for you. He came to make you citizens of a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom that is free because of his sovereign and his good rule. So that brings us to consider our main idea this morning, which is this. The simple thought. Live as citizens of the free kingdom. Live as citizens of the free 
kingdom. Now, as we consider that directive, I have three points for you. Uh, the first one is, is centered on what Christ has done for us, and the second two are centered on what we, how we are to respond. So first, we are to see uh, that we are able to live as citizens of the kingdom because of what King Jesus has done for us. We're able to live as free citizens because of what King Jesus has done for us. Second, we see that we live as citizens of the free kingdom by standing firm in the freedom that we've received. We live as citizens of the free kingdom by standing firm in the freedom we've received. And last, we will see that we live as citizens of the free kingdom by refusing to submit to old masters. We live as free citizens by refusing to submit to old masters. Now, we are given... The, the word freedom, when I use that, all sorts of things pop in your mind. And we are given to, to fallen notions of freedom and what it means to be a free person. And because of this, as we, as we read this short, simple statement and profound statement from Paul, we should definitely make sure that we are on our guard since a reckless handling of Paul's words here may uh, lead us to misunderstand the depth of freedom that Jesus has called us to have as citizens of his realm through faith. True freedom is more than a license just to do what we want since doing that only makes us a slave to our own desires. And true freedom also involves pure motives that, that flow from a, a heart that has been set free, that's been redeemed. Christians are the freest people in the world because Jesus has secured an authentic freedom for us, which we enjoy through faith in him because of his work in us and for us. So true freedom is enjoyed by those who live in conformity to Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit who works in us to make that gospel of freedom take effect. Part of the power of this verse comes from the, the, the grammatical structure, from, from the way that Paul says it. Now, I won't bore you with the grammatical terms here, but... In summary, basically, as we look at this, we see that Paul states a fact which indicates what Jesus has done, and then he transitions from the fact of the matter to two commands of how we're called to respond. The, the command, it's really one command, but we're going to break it up into two parts because there's a positive and a negative here. The command to stand fast and to refuse the yoke of slavery flows from the reality of what Jesus has done for us. As one writer explains, because of who God is and what he has done for believers in Jesus Christ, Christians are commanded to become what they are. That is to make visible in the earthly realm of their human existence what God has already declared and sealed in the divine verdict of justification. Uh, this is what it means to live by faith. Faith believes the truth of what God has done, and faith responds with action according to Christ's command. So obedience flows from faith as the fruit of faith. Obedience is the fruit of true freedom. Now part of the reason that the Galatians were in the mess that they were in was because they had lost sight of the connection between the way we are justified, of the connection between how we are counted righteous in God's sight 
through faith in Jesus and the way we grow up into that new identity. They were slipping into a distortion of the gospel that said we were to get righteousness for ourselves through works of the law. So Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians to remind them that their acceptance before God, that their membership in the household of Abraham, that their, their, the fact that they could claim these blessings was not on the basis of anything they could, they, that they had done or on anything that they could do. It was simply based and solely based on what Christ had done for them. Now Paul reminds the Galatians here in verse 1 about what Jesus has done for them with the intent of then calling the churches in Galatia to hold fast to the gospel of grace and not to be led into the slavery that they were finding so appealing. Uh, these words are intended to fuel the Christian resistance against anything that would inhibit us from living in the freedom that Jesus has secured for us through his work on the cross. This language of freedom is the language of faith, since the freedom that Paul describes here cannot be enjoyed apart from faith in the work of Christ. So Paul begins with a simple but profound statement of what Jesus has done for us. This is what he says. For freedom Christ has set us free. Which brings us to our first point, which is this. That we are to live as citizens of the kingdom, or that we're able to live as citizens of the kingdom because of what King Jesus has done for us. Now sometimes you don't realize how bad a situation is until you've been pulled up out of it. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 8, we realize the true extent of the human condition while it's under the tyranny of sin. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and the body, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin's rule over us in our natural state runs so deep, we don't even know that we're under its rule. We think that it's just natural. Uh, like a victim who's been poisoned, we're dead and we don't even know it. Jesus came to make us alive. Since we read that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ, to which Paul says, by grace you have been saved, and has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So when Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's the kind of freedom that he's talking about. He's talking about the way that Jesus has come to set us free from the living death that we have under sin's rule. He's talking about the way that Jesus has set us free from the things that used to rule over them, even though we thought that we were doing what came natural to us. He's talking about Jesus' victorious conquest through which he has rescued slaves and made them royalty in his kingdom as trophies of grace and the power of his love. When you try to add human effort to the story of, of, of God's salvation, 
you nullify the power of the gospel. The, the works of the flesh are opposed to the work of Christ. And yet, as we've studied the book of Galatians, we see that they were in, that th these churches were falling into a trap, buying into a powerless distortion of the truth, which said that you've got to earn your place in God's kingdom. Paul combats that false gospel by taking the Galatians back to square one. The gospel is not about how you can set yourself free from the tyranny of sin. The gospel is not a manual for how you can overthrow sin's mastery over you. It's a declaration of how God has set you free from that tyranny through the work of Jesus on your behalf. Paul says that Jesus has set us free. Now, this simple statement is one of the most profound realities of the Christian faith. The inheritance of faith, this freedom that God intends for us to have, is a result of the objective work of Jesus on our behalf. The reason this is important is because the gospel is not about how Jesus has made a way for you to be saved, how he has simply made it possible but rather it is about how Jesus has done that work, carried it to its fulfillment, how he has saved us, how he has taken us from being a people who were enslaved to sin and, has de and who were destined for judgment and has set us free through his work on the cross, just as we read in Ephesians chapter 2. The Galatians were being led astray into a distortion of the gospel that made salvation something that depended on their adherence to the commands of the law of Moses. They were being told that they had to add to Jesus' work if they really wanted to receive salvation. They were being led into a gospel that added works to grace. With four words, Paul exposed the lie that was being peddled by these false teachers. He says that Jesus has set us free. It is Jesus' work, not ours, that raises us out of the casket of sin into the throne room of God. It is Jesus' work of liberation that takes us from being enslaved to sin and makes us children of the promises of God. It is Jesus who not only grants us independence from sin's rule over us, but who makes us citizens in the kingdom of freedom, which is under his rule. The freedom that Paul has in mind is the inheritance of that promise, the blessing that God said he was bringing to the world to the world through the offspring of Abraham, which we have seen already is a reference to Jesus. Jesus has set us free in the fullest sense of freedom. Now, when a felon is released from prison, when they've served their sentence and they come back into society, we, we look at how they live, and when you look at that, uh, their condition, it's, it's hard to really call that freedom. Their record will haunt them until the day that they die. Their record will affect how they are perceived by everyone around them. Though their debt to society may be paid, there are certain freedoms that they'll never get back. Jesus offers us a freedom in the kingdom of his Father that is far better than that. He doesn't admit us into the kingdom as ex-cons. 
He has expunged the record of our sin. He has washed us clean from the, with, by the cleansing power of his blood. He reconciles us to God with such perfection that our transgressions against God are no longer counted against us. But he actually makes us new creatures who have new identities with freedoms that we've never had before. Because, we're, because while we were born enslaved to sin, he has made us sons and daughters of God, children of the promise. In his own words, Jesus says, So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus makes us free in the deepest, the fullest sense of freedom. His Spirit comes to dwell in us, we read in 2 Corinthians 3, and where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Freedom to dwell with God with unveiled faces, to be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is from the Lord, Paul tells us, who is the Spirit. Under the freedom that God has secured for us through Christ, we are free in ways we have yet to fully understand in ways we can't even imagine in this life. This freedom that Jesus has secured for us makes us something else. It makes us new. It makes us who God intended us to be. It restores us to a a right purpose of knowing God and enjoying Him and living in a relationship with Him in His direct presence of His glory forever. It's for this reason that John Calvin remarks that this is one of the most important doctrines that's connected to salvation. He explains that this is not a question of whether or not you should eat this food or that food, whether you shall observe or neglect a particular day, but what is your positive duty before God, what is necessary to salvation, and what cannot be omitted without sin. This is freedom to really live with a right heart, with right desires, under the authority of the throne of God in the kingdom of Christ. Now, the key component of this freedom, as Paul writes to the Galatians and as he writes to us, is that this freedom is something which comes about because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. We do not set ourselves free through Jesus. He is not a means to an end. He is the one doing the work. And Paul speaks about Jesus' work of liberation as something that has already happened. It has been done, accomplished. That when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it was done. That was the the declaration of our independence. Christ has set us free. The freedom that Jesus secures for his people is a present reality. If it were not, then you would have a very difficult time figuring out how you're supposed to figure out to obey the commands of the rest of this verse to stand fast and to resist enslavement to old masters. Salvation is a current reality for everyone who is in Christ, though we have not yet been fully transformed into what we are becoming. When we put our faith into Christ, we are saved, we are are justified, Uh, We are also being saved, being sanctified, being made holy like him. And when we are joined with him, we will be saved. We will live in the glory of his direct presence. Our hope for the journey does not lie in what we are doing, but in what Christ has done for us. You can see, that's a very important principle. 
And you can see why that principle matters so much for the Galatians, why they needed to be reminded about this, and why we ourselves need to be reminded about this too. Because all too easily, we are led to think that our standing before God has something to do with what we have done. We confess that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, and we, we, we stand on the solas, but still we find ourselves thinking about our own worth in God's sight as something that we've got to accomplish. We start to think to ourselves that because I missed my Bible reading today, God doesn't quite love me like he would have if I had done that. And we miss out on the objective work of Christ on our behalf. The freedom of the believer is something that was purchased by Jesus, not by you. When the message of the gospel of grace is that we are a free people on the basis of the fact that Jesus has set us free, it frees us up to act with an obedience unlike any other. The focus of the gospel is what is on what God has done for us. Now, sure, the gospel issues commands to us to repent and to believe But the hope of the gospel for those who believe isn't in the strength of their faith or in their wisdom and their ability to be able to understand the mysteries of faith. It's in the power of Jesus' work on our behalf. Always remember, the focus of the gospel of grace is on how God has accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves through works of the law. It is an objective message that affects us, not a supporting message that requires us to earn our place in God's favor. The promise of the gospel is that all who believe will be saved and that we are free in Christ, that we are in him, and that as we live in him, we are being transformed to be like him, to experience the deepest, purest, greatest freedom that we could ever possibly know. Now, having considered at length now the freedom that Jesus has secured for us and having understood that this freedom is ours on the basis of Jesus' work for us, we need to look at the curious emphasis Paul puts on, on why Jesus has set us free. We need to look at the priority Jesus had in making us a free people. Paul could have just said, Jesus has set us free. And we could read that and we could say, praise God, and we could go on. But that's not what he said. This is what he says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Meaning that Paul not only wanted to remind the Galatians and to remind us that we are free because of the work of Christ on our behalf, but that freedom affects us that it has a purpose, that Jesus has made us free with the purpose of having us live in the freedom that he's purchased for us. Jesus has set us free for freedom. Understand that Paul is not saying, Jesus has set us free so we can live however we want. That is not what Paul is saying. Rather, he's saying, Jesus has set us free so that we can live as a free people in the truest sense of liberty under the authority and the rule of his power in a right relationship with God. To this point, we have really focused on what true freedom is and on how Jesus secures that freedom for us. But the actual grammatical structure of this verse, the emphasis falls, of Paul's language, falls on Jesus' purpose of freedom. 
The Galatians needed to be reminded that they had been set free by Jesus, but they also needed to be reminded, and more fundamentally needed to be reminded, that Jesus intended for them to enjoy that freedom, to be a free people, to live in it, and not to return to the old ways of their enslavement. That's the heart of the matter here. Paul is appealing to the Galatians to let Christ's work of liberation have its full effect on their life. The freedom that Jesus secured for them was incompatible with their apparent desire to be under the law of Moses because it's a freedom that comes from grace, not a freedom that is earned by human effort. The freedom that Jesus has set us free to have is a freedom that is incompatible with the old ways of the fallen human nature. That's why when we read Paul say, for freedom Christ has set us free, he's not saying, hey, Jesus made you free, so go sin. That is not what he's saying. He's made you free so that you might be a free people. Jesus set us free from sin and from the demands of the law, and so we ought to live as a people who have been set free from the demands of the law and from our sin. He sets us free so that we can live in a right relationship with him. Uh, Peter explains very well to us uh, Jesus' purpose for making us a free people. He says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, members of a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he says this, on the basis of that work, so live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, as li- but living as servants of God. In the logic of the world, freedom and service are mutually exclusive. They're like oil and water. But that is not the freedom of Christ. God rules and reigns in the perfection of who he is. He answers to no one. No one can say to God, what have you done? He is above our scrutiny. He is ultimately free. You can't get more free than God is. That's what makes Jesus' work of freedom to bring freedom to us so astonishing. Because Philippians 2 explains that while Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That means he didn't, though he was God, he did not think of himself higher so as to stoop down and to, to save us. Rather, we read that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then being born in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what that means is that God the Son used his freedom to exalt God the Father by becoming the liberator of sinners like you and me. His service is what has set us free from the demands of the law and from the rule of sin over us. He is God's anointed who brings good news to the poor, who binds up the brokenhearted, who proclaims liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound up. We read in Isaiah 61. Jesus doesn't just set us free. He lays a path of the deepest, a path before us of the deepest sort of freedom, of a life lived according to his priorities and according to his rule as free sons and daughters of God. For freedom, Jesus has set us free. That means we're called to live as a free people. And that's what brings us now to consider our second point here, which is much shorter than our first point. 
as citizens of the kingdom of freedom, we are to stand fast. We are to stand fast. God has determined in Jesus to make his people a free people. It's what we read in the first part of this verse. For freedom, he has set us free. In the second part of verse 1, Paul moves from considering the work which Jesus has accomplished for us to make us that free people to consider the response that we're called to have to him uh, living in the freedom he secured for us. Notice how the objective work of Jesus gives way to the response of our lives living in that freedom. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, there's really one command going on here, but there's a positive part of this command and a negative part of this command. And I want to focus on each one of those because I think it's helpful to think about how Christ's freedom sets us free to do things and also how Christ's freedom sets us free to not do certain things. The positive command here is that we're called to stand fast, to cling to the freedom which Jesus has secured for us. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. The churches in Galatia were coming under heavy pressure to abandon the gospel of grace which they had received from Paul. So here's Paul in this letter standing like a general in front of his men telling them to hold their positions at all costs. Paul urges the Galatians to stand firm, to hold fast to their faith, knowing that only Jesus has the power to set us free from sin, from death, and for the judgment of the law. Standing firm in the gospel of grace is something that every believer is called to do, though the power to stand firm comes from the grace of God as he works in our lives. It looks like Philippians 3 where Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's that freedom. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything, if, in, if in anything else or you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What I love about the reason I read that for you now and, and the reason I, I love that particular passage from Philippians is that when Paul talks about how he strives, he in no way thinks that his striving somehow holds him secure in Christ. Rather, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. The freedom which Jesus has purchased for us manifests itself in our lives by the power of the Spirit through the way we live in him and he lives in us. When we are set free by Christ, we are placed at odds with all the powers we once served. Our, our liberation is sure, but the war is still going on. The churches in Galatia were being targeted with a false gospel that was intended to draw them away from the freedom Jesus had secured for them. And so, Paul tells them to strive, to fight, to live in the victory of Christ, even as they waited on the day when that victory would be finally and fully completed. 
So there's an urgency to Paul's voice as he tells the Galatians to hold firm because the danger is real. But there's also a confidence in his voice because he's assured of the victory of Jesus on their behalf. Timothy George puts it well when he says, the fact of justification, the fact of justification, propels the Christian into a world of struggle an in, in, in an un, in-between time bounded by the great accomplishment of redemption in Christ's finished work on the cross on the one hand and, and, a, and the yet-to-be-realized consummation of God's salvific purposes at the second coming of Christ on the other. The free people of Christ have been saved, have, have not been saved merely to be on the defensive. We're called to run the race of life with the urgency of a runner who presses forward towards the prize that has been set before him, who leverages every ounce of energy towards one goal, who uses the freedom that has been purchased for him as an opportunity to press deeper in and further up into the mysteries and the glory of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. We cannot afford to be complacent in this race. For freedom, Jesus has set us free. Therefore, we can strive and therefore we must strive. The freedom that Jesus has secured for us does not mean that we can relax and live however we would like. It means that we live in the freedom that we were always meant to have according to the relationship that Jesus has with his people, where the law of righteousness is not an oppressive judge outside of us, but where the law of righteousness is written on our very hearts, informing everything that we do. One of the arguments that has historically been leveled against the gospel of grace, which was leveled here by these false teachers in Galatia, and which has continued to be leveled by people, even to this day, against this, is, that, is this argument that if somehow we exclude works from salvation, we are opening the door for sin to come in. That objection fails to see that it is the freedom that Jesus has secured for us, the freedom we have received from him when we are joined to him by faith, which equips us and motivates us to do the work which God has prepared beforehand for us to do for the glory of King Jesus. The gospel of grace must cause us to press forward into Christ, forgetting what lies behind and living for what lies ahead. As a work of Christ takes hold in us, we must put that freedom into practice. We must strive. We must strain. We must live as the free people who we are in Christ, depending on His grace and the working of the Spirit in us. Living like that, living as a free people in a fallen world, is hard. But that is the path of true freedom. The freedom of Christ is both our sure destination and it is the path we walk as a people who have been redeemed. We must hold fast to the truth and we must put faith into practice as we wait on the day when we will no longer have to fight anymore because we'll be fully made into the image of Christ. That brings us to our third and final point this morning which is that as citizens of the kingdom of freedom, we must refuse to, be, to submit to the slavery of old masters. Paul tells the Galatians that since Christ has set them free, 
they must not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in addition to standing firm, pressing forward into the freedom that Jesus has secured for us, we are called to resist anything that would infringe on that freedom. Now when we read this statement in the context of what's happening in Galatia, it's obvious that Paul is referring directly to the Galatians' apparent desire to be under the law. Remember with me back to chapter, eight, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, where Paul explained that, that when the time of the law's guardianship was at an end, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. If the Galatians returned to the demands of the law, if they decided that they would try to earn their, fa- their, their place in God's house through their own efforts, then Christ's work for them would be for nothing. Caskets are for dead people. They're not for living people. The law is like a casket that proclaims that we are dead, fit for burial. But Christ has liberated us from sin, from death, and from the demands of the law. It is unthinkable that a living person should climb into a casket, ask for the lid to be closed and locked, and then for it to be put in the ground. Few things are as terrifying to me as the thought of being buried alive. And yet here are the Galatians saying that they want to be under the law, that they want to be enslaved again to its demands and its consequence of death. It's as if they're climbing back into a casket saying, you know what, this whole living thing is not what it's cracked up to be. Put me in the ground. To trade the freedom of Christ for a yoke of slavery, the very thing he came to rescue us from, is a great insult to the grace and the love of God. The citizens of the kingdom of freedom must not submit to the slavery of old ways. Now, Paul has yet more shocking things to say to the Galatians in verses 2 and 2 through 6, which is what we're going to look at next week. I don't think that the Galatians fully understood what they meant when they said, hey, we want to be under the law. I don't think they realized, hey, we're climbing into a casket here. That's why Paul has gone to such lengths to expose what's going on. That's why he appeals to them as he does in this letter. And Jesus came to rescue us from enslavement to sin and to the strivings of our flesh. And we can drive our faith off the road of the freedom of Christ and wind up in a ditch by relying either on our own efforts, which is legalism, or by using the freedom he has purchased for us as an opportunity for sinful desire, which is license. Whichever way we tend to leave the road, citizens of the free kingdom must live in the freedom which Christ has secured for us, using it as an opportunity to live by faith according to his rule. Standing firm in the freedom that Christ has secured for us means not being, or being, not being, not, being not willing to submit to anything which would link us again to the slavery which Jesus came to rescue us from. That means refusing sin's allure by pressing into the freedom that Christ has secured for us. In John 8, 34, Jesus told the crowd that anyone and everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin, but that everyone that he, the Son of God, sets free will be free indeed. Likewise, Paul explains in Acts 13, verses 38 and 39, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed. 
and from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Most of the Galatians were Gentiles, and yet Paul tells them not to return again to a yoke of slavery. That's because the law is unable to make us righteous, and he knew that if the Galatians chose to be under the law rather than living in the freedom of Christ, they'd be returning to the very chains Jesus came to rescue them from. The reason why there is freedom for us, the reason why there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ, is because God has done the work of setting us free, doing what the law, which was weakened by the flesh, could not. He sent his Son, who took on our nature, fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, suffered for our sins, and rose again in victory. And God did what we could not through the costly sacrifice of His Son. So if you have come to know the freedom that Christ brings, then you know that there is nothing better than this freedom. When we rely on our own works, when we use God's grace as an excuse for evil, we're not living out the freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy. We must look at anything which would impugn on this freedom which Christ purchased for us as a threat, as an ugly thing. A casket may be lined with soft pillows and linens, but in the end, its purpose is for a corpse. If Christ has made us free, if we've been joined to him by faith, we must live as a free people in the sure hope of our inheritance. So, Rejoice in the King who has set you free. And this week, resolve to live in that freedom by standing firm in the truth and refusing the allure of anything that would get in the way of that freedom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God who sets a priority on the freedom of your people. We thank you, Father, that you've not just set us free from from sin the way someone might set a dog free from a cable but that you have set us free and brought us into your house to enjoy freedom in ways that we don't even know are possible we thank you father for the sacrifice of christ who in the freeness of his obedience has set us free and made us a free people father there there's such an appeal to sin. We think we're free when we get to do the when we when we walk after the desires of our own flesh. When we let those things rule over us. They're tantalizing. They're they're pretty on the outside. And yet within within them we find that there is only death. And so Father, I pray that you would give us the strength, the grace, the encouragement, and the direction that comes from your indwelling spirit which will guard us from anything that that would steer us away from the freedom that is ours in Jesus. What's more, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are so bound up in the freedom of Christ that we cannot but speak of this freedom to others. You, You set us here as an embassy of your kingdom, this kingdom of freedom. And so, Father, help us to use the freedom you've given us to proclaim a message of reconciliation, a message of freedom to all those who are still held captive in their sin and are still walking according to the desires of their fallen flesh. I pray, Father, uh, for anyone in this room who is struggling with this idea, who finds the world alluring 
and is wondering if Christ is really worth following, if is wondering if, if this trouble is really worth uh, facing. And I pray, Father, that you would give them a vision of the freedom Christ has purchased for them this morning so that they will fall in love with that and experience that and never return to old ways. I pray, Father, that for those of us who maybe haven't trusted in Christ and haven't experienced this freedom, that you would open our eyes to the truth, that we would see that we cannot fulfill the demands of your righteous law, that we stand condemned in ourselves, and that our only hope is in Christ. I pray, Father, that you'd make that message take effect and that new hearts and new lives would be born even this morning. We thank you, Father, that you are the ruler of all things, that you are sovereign, and that you and your sovereignty have determined to make us a free people under your rule and in your kingdom to the glory of Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our song of response, we want to celebrate what Christ has done for us. So if you would, please stand as we sing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.